So there was a workshop that I taught in Mexico in 2016, where there was one man whose story of vision improvement was very impressive because it mm. happened immediately, very quickly. And it was related to an emotional release and a belief, a transformation of beliefs and identity. Mm. So in, I was teaching uh, one of the, the games, the exercises, the activities I was proposing was hugging. And I was giving specific instructions on how to hug. Mm. Yes, so that we would create um, an optimal state of relaxation and connection and congruency between the hearts of the people hugging. Create uh, congruency. Um, there are all these hormones of happiness that are released, oxytocin and serotonin and, and the others. And um, relaxation is even increased. So I was doing this as one of the many possible practices of the vision improvement workshop. And this guy was like, I'm a tough man. I never hug. I don't show my emotions. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to do this exercise, but because it's within the course, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. This was his internal talk. He didn't say it out loud. He told us afterwards. Mm -hmm. So he yielded into the exercise. He hugged three people following my instructions. And after three hugs, he had been very myopic. After three hugs, he saw perfectly clear perfectly clear and it was stable it was not just a flash he could hold that perfect state of clarity for hours after the exercise of hugging so at some point in time in the workshop he stood up took the mic and explained to everyone in tears mm. that he had learned to be a man a tough man that shouldn't show his emotions and that he was never hugging his wife he was never hugging his children and that he realized um, how much how beautiful it was uh, to hug someone you love, especially if you love them, mm. how, what relaxation it had brought to him uh, and how it had clarified his vision instantly. So he was making the choice to become a soft and loving man. He could be still a good man mm. while being loving and soft and tender. And so he made the commitment that he would hug his wife and his uh, daughters every day from mm. uh, that point on. And this man never got back, never went back to having myopia. Welcome to the Talking, Teaching and Flow podcast. My name is Rafan Kebe, and this is a podcast about the art and artistry of teaching. And as such, I speak with teachers, trainers and coaches about their work and the sharing of their skills. Today, my guest is Ainoa de Federico. Dr. Anoa de Federico is a research professor at the University of Toulouse, where she teaches natural vision improvement as part of the Agapis Masters of Health Education. For almost 20 years, she has been helping a growing number of people to see with their own eyes. In 2016, she created the first online course on natural vision improvement in Spanish. And to date, she has helped more than 2 million people in over 200 countries to improve their vision naturally through her free classes. With hundreds of thousands of followers and thousands of students in more than 90 countries. I'm so delighted to have had this conversation with Ainoa. I really enjoyed my time talking with and to her and learning from her studies and her work and her research. Now, she was in LA and myself in London when this conversation was being recorded and um, either on my part or on her part, the 
internet connection dropped a few times so there are a couple of issues from time to time about uh, the connection and as such you will hear our voice drop for a few seconds now bear with us and the conversation is good and it gets better and it only happens really and truly just a few times but i just wanted to warn you now on to the conversation about natural vision improvement with Ainoa. Take good care. Ainoa, am I saying your name right? Ainoa. Perfectly, Ainoa. Ainoa. And Rafan, yeah? Yes, Rafan. please. Rafan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Raf. Thank you so very much for being on the Talking, Teaching and Flow podcast. It's such a pleasure meeting you. Same here. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I'm very excited to having this conversation with you. Super. Well, I came across your account on Instagram and uh, it shouted, I think, at me saying, look, we need to talk (laughs) about natural vision improvement. Um, I'm interested in how, obviously, through through this podcast, how people do what they do and how they coach people in what they do. But obviously, you're doing such interesting work that is not mainstream, if I may say, that um, I really had to invite you. And I'm so, so very glad you said yes to having a chat with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm very tempted. I've got a few um, ideas and a few questions for you. And I'll, I'll share okay. I'll share a couple of chapters I'd like us to, to travel through uh, um, together over the next hour. But first and foremost, can you tell everyone where you are from, where you are at now and where you normally live? Yes. So I come from Spain. I was born in Barcelona. Um, mm. For the past uh, 25 years plus, I have been um, mostly based in France. I am a professor at the University of Toulouse um, mm. since two, 2008. Before that, I was a professor at the University of Lille in the north of France. Um, in the last year, since, since 2013, I spent several months in Mexico. Uh, Mexico stole my heart, so I've organized my teaching at the university in one semester so that the other semester I can relatively easily travel and I tend to spend that time in Mexico. And right now it happens to be that I'm uh, for a few days in Los Angeles in the States. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is like a short term thing for now mm-hmm. awesome and you will be going back to toulouse yeah um after the summer yes i will be going back to yes uh in september mm-hmm. <coughs> i'm going back to toulouse um and i'm going to spend uh, the next year in toulouse fully because mm-hmm. i just learned a couple of days ago that uh, i am going to be the next uh, um uh, responsible of the master in, in education health or health education there's a master at the university of toulouse that's centered in health education mm-hmm. and uh, well the previous uh, responsible person is ending the term um, at the end of the school year and i've been chosen to be the the next person to be at the head of this master so it's going to be very good and um, we'll do our best uh, <coughs> to introduce more natural vision improvement mm-hmm. at this master's level at the university and so that yeah um and to get it even more known to the world i think this is something important to do at this moment yeah it is and it's amazing that uh, <coughs> that Sorry. you have access obviously to both university students but also that the the academia so to speak is supporting you mm-hmm. in in spreading in spreading uh, the work that you do so that's amazing we're going to go back we're going to get back to um 
to your ability to teach students and to bring your method through through universities um, because uh-huh. that's quite rare. You know, when someone comes up with a method, whatever it is, they tend to struggle to get that into a mainstream, um, st- you know, path of studies. So that's awesome. But listen, I want to run something by you. There are perhaps four mm-hmm. or five different um, chapters I mentioned to you that I'd love for us to talk about. And I just mm-hmm. want you to choose one to start with, if that makes sense, right? Okay. So sure. we're going to be talking about, um, you know, your the natural vision improvement method that you have developed mm-hmm. and that you are now sharing with people. Um, but reading through um, quite a few bits about you and the work and obviously sight and eyesight, I came across a few things that I thought could actually build up. Uh, our conversation. One is about brain wiring and how mm-hmm. we can actually perhaps, or you tell me not perhaps, rewire our brain in order to see better. Mm-hmm. Two, it's in relation to the power of light and how we can actually use and utilize the sun um, mm-hmm. to improve our eyesight. Three, it's in relation to habits and identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, I've listened to you speak and and you mentioned at one point, you said, you know, I've had a couple of issues with my own eyesight, but the truth mm-hmm. is I've never considered myself or I've always considered myself someone with really, really good eyesight. And there's there's an identity forming in that phrase that I thought we could talk about because I'm sure I know a lot of people who, you know, would tell you uh, I've been nearsighted since my birth. I've I've worn glasses since very, very young, and that's very much part of their identity. And I'm sure with that, I've put habits into it. So identity and, and habits as number three. Number four, if we can talk about emotions and emotional release, um, mm-hmm. the, the idea that our eyesight is directly correlated to how we mm-hmm. feel inside. And lastly, mm-hmm. diet and physical exercises, and to see whether... Okay. You know, I'm curious to hear you speak about those 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 aspects as to how our eyesight are actually dependent on perhaps much more f- things than that. But this is what I have in, in mind. We only have an hour now and now and a <laughs> half together. So, so I'm hoping this sounds good for you um, as a plan. And I'm also curious as to where do you see us start. Well, if that's okay with you, I would mm-hmm. like to start with identity. Mm-hmm. And then maybe move towards um, emotions, and we'll see how it flows from there. Nice one. I like Is this that one. Okay. Totally. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you said that you've heard me um, talk about myself as someone who sees very clearly, mm-hmm. um, even though I've had several chapters of um, trouble with my eyesight um, at different moments of my life, and um, indeed, I think that has been the through line that has allowed me to come back over and over to a very good eyesight every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear people that are um, talking about themselves saying, I am myopic or I am uh, farsighted. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> when we will talk also about the mind, this, is, this has a very big impact. The way you speak about yourself participates in creating the future you, the present you and the future you. And it Mm -hmm. constructs your expectations about life. And it's like a thermostat of what you're going to experience. So Mm -hmm. uh, I have a friend who defines himself as an athlete. So he's all the time in very good shape, for example. So where you place your identity, that's where you place your high standards and expectations. And you know that you have to live up to that. Mm -hmm. In my case, 
um, my identity of someone who sees very well by day, by night, um, near and far. It's something that happened um, in childhood, and um, my parents actually played a very big role in that. And the story goes like this. When I was born, I was cross-eyed, so um, I had strabismus. I looked like this. <laughs> I was very nearsighted in one eye, and the other mm -hmm. one was amblyopic, which means that my brain did not consider the information from that eye. Okay. That was half-blind, functionally. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And um, I was the chance to be born in a um, family where my grandfather was a medical doctor. There are several uh, people in the medical and paramedical professions in my family. And so when I was six months old and my parents went to visit my, grand my grandparents, I think it was Christmas, something like that, um, they asked my grandfather, well, look at our child. She's cross-eyed <laughs> and she, visibly she doesn't see very well. Can we do something about it? Do you know a good ophthalmologist to bring her to? And so I had the chance that because my grandfather was an extremely good medical doctor at the time, uh, very prestigious in Spain at the time, and he very well connected with the best professionals in the country, mm -hmm. he immediately advised um, an ophthalmologist who was a professor at the University of Granada, who at the time she already knew, it was a woman, she already knew that it was possible to improve your vision with exercises. So my parents brought her, brought me to her when I was six months old. And um, yeah, and she told my parents that they should do a, a number of stimulation games and mm -hmm. things and exercises and using eye patches and things like that. My parents did that very diligently. And so when I was one year old for my first birthday, I had perfect vision. Everything was corrected. The strabismus was gone. The myopia was gone. The amblyopia was gone. And I had a perfect eyesight. Mm. And this is one of the three stories that my parents always tell me for my birthday because it's one of the earlier experiences I had in life. So, well, the other two are not relevant at this moment, <laughs> but uh, this is something that they've been telling me over and over and over for my birthday. So for me, it's like an origin story. One of the first experiences I had in life was to, mm -hmm. to regain or to gain my perfect eyesight. Mm -hmm. So I grew with a very strong identity of achievement with having conquered a perfect eyesight and yeah. being someone who sees perfectly uh, clearly far mm -hmm. near by day, mm -hmm. by night. Mm -hmm. And this is something that people would tell me very often, like, wow, you see very far and you see very well at night. So it was part of my personal pride that I had this mm -hmm. talent and I knew it was not something that I was born with. It was something that I had acquired, yeah. even though it was my parents who did all the stimulation, but well, I got the result. So. Mm -hmm. um, the next time that I had a problem with my vision, I was 23 years old. I was in the north of France, in uh, Lille. It was my second year in France, I believe. And one day I woke up and I was seeing double and very blurry. And I panicked, uh, called my mother uh, in panic, uh, telling her, well, that I got up and I was seeing very blurry and double. She panicked even more than me. Mm -hmm. And she told me to call um, an ophthalmologist to solve the problem. Of course, that was a good idea. What was not such a good idea uh, was to go look at the yellow pages and just pick any random person that would 
mm-hmm. answer the phone quickly and give me an immediate appointment. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in France, we know that you should not go to empty restaurants. If they're empty, there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I went to this person who had an empty practice and, um, and could uh, pay attention. Well, that's a way of speaking because actually he did not pay much attention at me. But anyway, he gave me an appointment. Mm-hmm. And immediately this person didn't want to understand why two days earlier or one day earlier, I had a perfect eyesight mm-hmm. and the next morning I was seeing blurry and double. The only thing he, this ophthalmologist was interested in was giving me prescription glasses. I and I asked him, but why, why yesterday I saw perfectly and not today? What happened? Mm-hmm. Something must have happened. What's the cause? And then if we know the cause, maybe we can find the solution. Yeah. He was not at all interested in going into that exploration. He only wanted me to get glasses for myopia and astigmatism at the time and diplopia. And so I went out of the consultation with a, um, a paper saying that I should buy glasses and I didn't know why and what could be done about it. Mm. And for me, that was a turning moment in my life, in my visual life. I could have listened to this authority with a white blouse mm-hmm. and uh, go get glasses and maybe I would be wearing glasses still today because once you start wearing glasses, the eyes get used to them. Yeah. Yeah. And you change your identity and you mm-hmm. identify with the image of wearing the glasses and you identify with being dependent on them mm-hmm. and you start uh, believing in what everyone says that your eyesight will go worse with time and after 40, well, you cannot avoid wearing glasses, et cetera, et cetera. But instead of going that path, that is kind of the mainstream path that most people go through, I hang on to my identity of someone who's almost first experience in life had been recovering or regaining perfect eyesight. Mm -hmm. I had the experience that it was possible to have, to improve your vision. And if I didn't remember it intellectually, it was an experience that I had in my body, in my Mm -hmm. cell's memory, Mm -hmm. if I can say so. So I remember that going out of that uh, consultation, I ripped the paper, threw it to the trash. And I said, "Until, until I understand why my vision has gone worse, I'm not going to wear glasses. Mm -hmm. Once I understand what the cause is, and if there is no solution, well, then maybe. But first I need an explanation. I need understanding. So I really was clenching to my identity of someone who sees clear. Yeah. How old were you at that point? I was 22, 23, something like that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was was studying my... Uh, DEA at the time in France. So that's mm-hmm. like the second year of a master's degree. Yeah. And I was already going to head into a scientific uh, career. I was going to study a PhD. I was very clear on that. So I had a mindset of scientific method and asking questions about why things are the way they are mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. finding like systematic solutions and approaching it in a scientifically way. Mm-hmm. And uh, in science, you need to be critical and you I need do. to be asking yourself questions all the time. And maybe the state of the art of knowledge is this, but science has to push it there. So in order to change the line of the state of the art in knowledge, you have to be asking why and why and why. So anyway, um, I didn't want just to buy uh, the pre-set uh, answer of getting glasses. I first wanted to know what had happened to my eyesight and if there was something that could be done about it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, 
going back home, I was very frustrated with this experience with this ophthalmologist. So I was calling my friends and talking with them and like telling them about it. And one friend told me, another sociology student, um, she told me, well, I, I would advise you to go visit my medical doctor. He's not an ophthalmologist. He's a generally family doctor. Mm -hmm. But what I can assure you, he may not have the answer, but what I can assure you is that he will look for the cause and he will try to understand with you. So I was like, okay, I'm in. I went the next day and the next day, uh, this person, this doctor was examining me and looking and listening carefully. And I told him everything I sensed about what had happened previously to the symptom appearing. And after a few minutes of exploration, he said, well, young lady, what do you have is sinusitis. Okay, sinusitis. Mm -hmm. So the sinuses are, are around the eyes and they're inflammated. Yeah. And so when the um, sinuses are inflammated, if we can take this like a model of an eye, mm -hmm. then they're compressing the eyeball. And when the eyeball is compressed, the shape of the eyeball changes, and then this causes refractive errors. So focusing is not as good. And, well, if the eyeball is very deformed, it can cause double vision. Yeah. Okay, so now we have a cause. What's the solution for a sinusitis? Antibiotics. So I took antibiotics for seven days. Mm -hmm. He told me if after seven days of antibiotics you still have the problem, well, maybe there's something more that we can do or we can or that we have to look at. And mm -hmm. if by the end of the week the problem is gone, then well, you know. we go on to the next thing. Yes. Yeah. So I took the antibiotics, the sinusitis visibly was gone, and my eyesight was back to perfect. And I went back to my identity <laughs> yeah. of seeing perfectly clear. And I remember having thought at the time, if I had listened to the first guy and I had started wearing glasses, probably I would be wearing glasses today. Totally. Because yeah. the guys get used to them and the prescriptions tend to get uh, like higher and higher. And um, But because I found a solution, <clears throat> well, um, here I am. And I remember having thought, how many people may there be out there that have, have had some kind of thing happening to them Mm -hmm. that in a way or another may have caused tension around the eyeball. For me, it was a sinusitis, but it could be something else like muscle tension. And if they panicked as I did, and they went quickly to the first ophthalmologist or optometrist yeah. that yeah. gave them glasses, if they didn't have another frame of reference to think about other options, they may be wearing glasses today when it was not necessary. Yeah. The necessary thing was just to release whatever tension was around the, out totally. around the eye globe. And then they could go happily ever after without glasses. And it would, it would have been fair to say that then the glasses would have been the reason why they would need glasses. Basically, exactly. the glasses would have messed up their, their eyesight. Yes. Yeah. If you sprain your ankle, and mm -hmm. at the, well, they, cast, they put a cast on your ankle for yeah. the moment where it's healing and you mm -hmm. have to wear crutches for some time. Mm -hmm. But after the healing process has happened, they remove the cast and they force you to stop using the crutches and they do mm -hmm. some rehabilitation to help you walk again. Mm -hmm. And when people get glasses, well, something has happened. There is an acute moment of something mm -hmm. that creates uh, um, this tension or whatever. Sometimes it, it builds over time. But the thing is that people are given crutches and instead of learning how to rehabilitate the eye, learning how to use the eye properly to use it normally again, like you would do with an ankle, they give you crutches and they expect you to wear the crutches for the rest of your life. Yeah. You would never use crutches for the rest of your life after sprinting your, your yeah. ankle. So, yeah. so, but anyway, eyeglasses have been around since the 
Well, the concept of glasses was invented in the 12th century and the optics were developed in the Renaissance in Italy a lot. And of course, optics have developed much, much more and have improved a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we culturally, culturally and collectively, we are used to the object, to glasses since, let's say, the 15th century, even before physiology and medicine understood the focusing mechanisms of the eye correctly. Mm -hmm. So in our culture, it's accepted that glasses are part of our universe and that everyone will need them at some point in time. So nobody's questioning um, further than that. Well, actually, there are some people in the early 20th century, uh, Dr. William Bates, an American ophthalmologist, started Mm -hmm. asking questions about this, and he was the pioneer of natural vision improvement. But anyway, for me, holding on to this identity of someone who sees very clear, that has perfect vision, Mm -hmm. was something that got me back into perfect vision more than once. Um, And now also because I built... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, let me, if, if I may, I, I'm very curious to ask you a question, if I may. Yeah. Um, yes, of course. to stay on the identity and to make this as practical as we possibly can for also for people. It's a beautiful story and I, I want to hear more of that because I, I can sense that there's more to this. Mm-hmm. Practically speaking, since we are here on the chapter of identity and habits, um, besides holding on to the, to the, to the identity that you had, um, forged as, as a, someone with very, very good vision, what are the mm-hmm. things that people who don't have necessarily that vision that of themselves, that this identity can actually do to go against those compensation patterns that have been given to us either by wearing clutch, crutches, or oh, I'm sorry, wearing glasses, <laughs> <bodies and> glasses. <laughs> Uh-huh. What are practical things to to reinforce okay. one's identity as someone who can actually gain, even in older age, a much better eyesight? It's a very good question. Well, it's true that for me, because I had like this second experience built and strengthened the identity of mm-hmm. the ability of regaining uh, good eyesight or perfect eyesight, and I did it again later on. Um, okay, so let's say um, I'm going to take your question from another side. Um, well, for someone who has already been wearing glasses for some time and would like to walk into the identity of someone who sees very well, yeah. if they've been wearing glasses for a long time, probably this is going to be a process with several steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first step is that if a person is used to their image like this. Okay. So for those listening. Um, yeah. Know, with I'll glasses on the face. On. Yes, okay. exactly. So if they're used to their image of themselves with glasses on, the first challenging step may be getting used to their image being without the glasses. Uh-huh. There's Our face is our presentation to the world and the way, you know, when people wear makeup or have um, their hair mm-hmm. done in a way or another and they, um, they let the beard out or they wear mm-hmm. a mustache and everything you display on your face becomes part of your identity of your persona how you the character that you show to the world so if your persona is an image with glasses yeah. uh, sometimes it's a big step to see yourself without glasses some people don't recognize themselves without the glasses in the mirror i know and the I, very I know, step, yeah i know people who've had lasik like i did 
and uh-huh. eventually went back to wearing glasses with clear um, clear lenses simply uh-huh. because having something on their nose. And also I remember a friend uh-huh. of mine said to me, I feel protected when I wear my glasses. So what exactly. you're saying about the identity aspect of what I project, but also what the world is projecting onto me. Yes. Perfect, perfect eyesight after, you know, the, the surgery, but still wearing glasses with clear lenses. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And, and when you say, when you talk about the protection here, we're touching also um, emotional aspects that we will go yeah. into mm-hmm. a bit later on. Mm-hmm. I have seen students wear glasses that had no glass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. had a master's student. Every time we had a meeting, I was seeing her frames and I was very tempted to do this. Of course, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was very clearly wearing frames without anything. Yeah. And it was, yeah, the character that she was building um, the, yeah. the, the persona, the fashion or the, the way to show it Beautiful. to the world. Yeah. So you're saying, okay, so moving on from that identity, basically, and trying to get organized, and that could be, yeah. practically speaking, I remember I started wearing contact lenses. Would that be uh-huh. a one way towards it? It could be. It could be a way to do a transition. All the contact mm-hmm. lenses have other inconveniences yeah. um, uh, because they are all the time on your cornea, so you need... Um, uh, they tend to get to make your eye dry and that worsens your vision even faster and they make you dependent even See. more. So mm. on the, to play on the identity, it may be a good point. Um, um, disposable contact lenses would be best in that case because with the disposable ones, you can decrease progressively uh, the amount of degrees on the contact lenses. It's a bit of an expensive path, but it's mm-hmm. a possible path. Mm-hmm. Another thing, so first... Sometimes it's very challenging just to remove the glasses and to start seeing yourself without them. And we do take some time in the, in the courses to do that and to see how you feel when you look at the world and the world sees you without the glasses yeah. and to be able to be in contact with those emotions that emerge that sometimes are the very emotions that are behind the eye symptom. So mm-hmm. that's a moment of release as well. And there's something else um, with glasses there's also a cultural construction around the fact that smart people, intelligent, intellectual yeah. people that mm-hmm. read a lot, uh-huh, mm-hmm. they have to have glasses. Mm-hmm. It's very funny at the university for quite some years, there was an expectation that I should wear glasses mm-hmm. uh, if I was going to go higher in the hierarchy mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. know the different grades at the university. People... Yeah found it strange that I wouldn't wear glasses. And if I wasn't, was I reading enough? Was I doing my job? <laughs> How can There's you be a, a PhD without belief. wearing glasses? Yeah. The identity of a PhD normally comes yes, from glasses, yes. right? And I could see my... Yes. And I saw my colleagues looking very intelligent, talking about whatever they were reading or the yeah. research, you know, Waving like their, their glasses, glasses was an yeah. accessory. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Of the persona, the construction of the identity of the... Uh, researcher or the university professor and with glasses people have gestures that they have incorporated that are sometimes as strong in the muscle memory as when people smoke when people smoke it's Mm -hmm. not only Mm -hmm. the dependency to nicotine that they have to change around but all the gestures and all the habits that go around with it Mm -hmm. so some people you know will wear their glasses like this and it's very Mm -hmm. fashionable and sexy and cute Mm -hmm. and so from here to here it goes very quickly or uh, they will wear them like here On their shirt, and uh, mm-hmm. from yeah. yes and they will hear very quickly so there's also lots of gestures that go around um, it that need to be changed mm. so the first step uh, for people is to allow themselves 
to spend as much time as reasonably possible without glasses. So my invitation is everything that you can do without glasses, mm. take them off and use them only when they're absolutely necessary. Because, well, at the beginning, when people do not yet have, have not yet improved their, their eyesight, well, it may be necessary to wear the glasses to read or to um, text messages on the phone or to mm -hmm. do something at the computer or to cut onion without cutting your finger yeah. <laughs> or, or something like this. But there's plenty of other things that you can do without the glasses on. Yeah. And some people even take their shower <laughs> with the glasses almost. That's mm -hmm. really not necessary. So putting distance between you and the object helps taking distance uh, with the identity that you have built with the glasses to go more towards an identity without glasses. Another thing that's very practical is to pay attention at what I call all the dimensions of seeing. Um, when, we, when our vision, when our eyesight is evaluated by professionals, most often, not always, but most often, the only thing they look at is how well we can perceive certain letters of a certain size at a certain distance. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's visual acuity for numbers or letters. And if we look at the human experience of eyesight, well, writing and numbers come relatively late in human history. We were using our eyes for many other things before, mm -hmm. like hunting and finding our ways and cooking and painting in the caves and mm -hmm. many other things and um, making clothes and um, planting and taking fruits from the trees, etc. So we need to pay attention at other dimensions of seeing that are not just recognizing letters and numbers of a certain size at a certain distance. And of course, all of this plays a big role in today's society, and we need to also do that. But I encourage people to pay attention at how they perceive the quality of light, the brightness and nuances of colors, textures, details, depth, empty space, 3D shapes, hmm. movement, uh, the pleasure of seeing, um, making eye contact with a person that you love. Mm -hmm. All of those things and more are part of what I call the dimensions of seeing. And when you notice improvement in any of those dimensions of seeing, it's a sign that your vision is improving. Mm -hmm. And very often, your eyesight starts by improving in those other aspects before acuity, uh, visual acuity and um yeah, uh, recognizing certain letters of a certain size at mm -hmm. a certain distance improves. So if you can pay attention at all, all of those subtle improvements, you know that your vision is improving and you open up, you relax even more. And so more improvement can happen. Mm -hmm. So I would say these are like the first steps to start shifting your identity. And it's very important for people to know that if they can improve a little bit, they can improve a lot. A lot, yeah. And because improvement is possible. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing at some point in time, when people are not wearing their glasses, so you need to create the space for that. And when they uh, learn to relax more and more in the way they use their eyes, um, start what we call flashes of uh, clear eyesight, clear sight, uh -huh. okay. clear flashes okay. clear, or flashes of clear vision. And for a split second, sometimes, the person sees completely, perfectly clear. When that happens, the person knows that she can, that it is possible. Because if, if, if it was not possible, 
she couldn't happen. it wouldn't have been possible even for a split second yeah so so there's a sense of and, belief um, here because if something happens then you must believe that it can happen again basically and can be sustained yes mm-hmm. and you can train your brain to accept the idea that for you it is possible to see clearly because you have had the experience even if it yeah. was a short experience and actually not uh, not everyone but it's relatively frequent that when people see clearly like when they have a flash of clear vision the first time they're sometimes even scared about it because yeah. it's not the experience they've had they do not expect it mm-hmm. and they have an emotional an emotion that uh, emerges that goes with it I so there imagine. is also a process of acclimating to clarity and releasing the emotions that come with it a beautiful segue right into the into the uh, into the emotion aspect and emotional release um mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like you're very much making the point that uh, our sense of identity is very very rooted or i should say our eyesight is so very rooted in our identity and what we think of it um yes. and with that like you know i'm i'm training as a psychotherapist so i'm always interested in the fact that we are the sum of the stories we tell about ourselves and, yes but the challenge with that is that as soon as you start changing your story resistance mm-hmm. comes in a way uh, yes. uh we, we mentioned the people wearing glasses without yes. any uh, without the need of glasses so to speak so changing yeah. one story is something that needs to be done quite quite gently at times can you speak of emotion and emotional release and also do you have any experience either yourself or someone who's who's really found that their eyesight improve once their emotional life oh yes improved? yes Yes, and okay. we'll go into that. But if I may, I would like to say three small things. Go for it. Um, one, you said when you start changing your identity and the story you tell yourself about yourself, resistance mm-hmm. comes from the inside. Mm-hmm. But resistance also comes from the outside because mm-hmm. when you start changing, mm-hmm. the people around you cannot manipulate you in the same ways as they did before. Yeah. And also there's a set of cultural, societally shared beliefs around eyesight, like things that If you start wearing glasses, you're going to need them all your life and it's impossible to improve your vision. And after 40, you're going to need glasses for the rest of your life because uh, eyesight decreases with age and it is normal that it decreases with age and that the sun is bad for your gla- for your eyesight. There's lots of fake uh, beliefs that are out there that are actually not good for eyesight. And when a person starts improving their eyesight in a system that does not believe it's possible, It's not just the resistance within, but it's the resistance also with the environment. Mm-hmm. And if they go to see a professional of eyesight that does not believe or does not know that it's possible to improve eyesight naturally without glasses or surgery, there's also resistance with authority figures making it like difficult. So so in order to thrive and have the process be gentle and be possible, it's important that you find yourself within a community where improving your vision is seen as normal and desirable and where other people encourage you to do so and that they share their improvement, you you share yours, and there is a normality that is established around this identity change. Mm. And this community, in my experience, is a very, very, very strong um, element in the vision improvement because it normalizes the process for everyone and it makes it so much easier. And of course, this principle applies with any change that you want to do in your life. We are told that we are um, the average of the five people that we're closest to. So if we want 
want to change how we are, it is very good to surround ourselves with five people who are already successful in doing that, even mm -hmm. if the rest of your environment believes it's impossible. So having this community to share this experience is very useful in the identity change. You know, listening so, to you saying that, I, I'm sure that people must be listening to this going, wow, I've never thought of eyesight as being so correlated to my societal, um, you know, environment and how deeply rooted it is in everything that I do mm -hmm. and the people around me. But it is because anything that is such a big part of your identity will obviously correlate to your a direct environment in which you, you know, you move around yes. and you become on a daily basis. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, because of time, so because I know, um, and you've got, uh, we've got a okay. few chapters. I'm so sorry, but I, I need to press you on. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> yeah, in Yeah, we'll talk forever. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so many things. <laughs> so let, let us go into the emotional release because I, I know there's, there's okay. quite a lot there for people to, people listening and yes. watching to learn from that. Okay, so one thing I wanted to say that still links into what you just mentioned is that mm -hmm. the eyes are actually part of the brain. They are like, if you see how a baby develops, uh, the eyes are like part of the brain that are popping up to discover the world. Yeah. And, uh, and there's uh, lots of um, neuronal tissue. The retina is neurons, actually. They connect with the brain through the optic nerve and the eyes connected to 85% of the brain. So how we see the world has less to do with the uh, impulses of light that reach the retina than how we think, what we believe, how we feel, what are our memories, what we learned, what we imagine, what we project on the future, what are our perceptions. So we see the world not as the world is, but as we are. So mm -hmm. in order to see the world differently, we have to change how we are, how our we relate to the world. And um, it's very nice with the experiences that people have when they improve their eyesight is that there are identity shifts and uh, they go out of the process being so much happier and so much uh, more congruent and uh, integrated as human beings and in mm -hmm. the relation with the world. It's a very beautiful work to do. So now you want to go into emotions. Um, so you asked if I know people that um, like, handling um, their emotions, the emotions that were hiding behind the eye symptoms have improved their eyesight. Big yeah. time, yes. And mm -hmm. that's also part of the improvement in all life. Um, I remember one guy, it was impressive because it was immediate. In one workshop that I taught in Mexico in 2016, I had this man um, in one of the workshops at some point in time, I uh, proposed way of hugging um there would be a heart connection and I'm you so know sorry. the hormones we've of lost, we've lost you for food. 10 seconds yeah any chance you could go back oh. to the beginning you said there was this guy and then you, yes. you were lost yes sorry yeah i saw that the connection was a bit unstable so there was a workshop that i taught in mexico in 2016 where there was one man whose story of vision improvement was very impressive because it mm. happened immediately very quickly and it was related to an emotional release and a belief, a transformation of beliefs and identity. Mm -hmm. So in, I was teaching uh, one of the, the games, the exercises, the activities I was proposing was hugging. And I was giving specific instructions on how to hug. Mm -hmm. Yes, so that we would create um, an optimal state of relaxation and connection and congruency between the hearts of the people hugging. 
create uh, congruency. Um, there are all these hormones of happiness that are released, oxytocin and serotonin and, and the others. And um, relaxation is even increased. So I was doing this as one of the many possible practices of the vision improvement workshop. And this guy was like, I'm a tough man. I never hug. I don't show my emotions. I wouldn't want to do this exercise, but because it's within the course, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. This was his internal talk. He didn't say it out loud. He told us afterwards. <laughs> so he yielded into the exercise. He hugged three people following my instructions. And after three hugs, he had been very myopic. After three hugs, he saw perfectly clear perfectly clear and it was stable it was not just a flash he could hold that perfect state of clarity for hours after the exercise of hugging so at some point in time in the workshop he stood up took the mic and explained to everyone in tears mm. that he had learned to be a man a tough man that shouldn't show his emotions and that he was never hugging his wife he was never hugging his children and that he realized um, how much how beautiful it was uh, to hug someone you love, especially if you love them, mm. what relaxation it had brought to him uh, and how it had clarified his vision instantly. So he was making the choice to become a soft and loving man. He could be still a good man mm. while being loving and soft and tender. And so he made the commitment that he would hug his wife and his uh, daughters every day from mm. uh, that point on. And this man never got back, never went back to having myopia. And it happened in five minutes of hugging and, uh, yeah, and allowing himself this emotional release and this identity shift. So, so this is an anecdote. It's a little story. Mm. Um, there's a bigger picture. In 1958, there was um, a researcher um, uh, in psychology, actually, um, Charles Kelly, he did his PhD between the New School of Social Research in New York and the University of Columbia. So in principle, they're good universities. And he did his PhD combining the works of William Bates that explains how focusing happens thanks to different sets of muscles in the eyes. And most of the most common refractive errors like myopia, presbyopia, hyperopia, and astigmatism happen when there's too much tension in the muscles. Mm. So if the problem, if the cause is the tension in the muscles, the solution is relaxing and training the muscles to move in better ways to focus. So this is very quickly the ideas by William Bates. And because he, was, he had already corrected uh, his myopia and he was studying psychology and works of if you're a psychotherapist trained. Uh, so Wilhelm Reitz is one of the heterodox psychoanalysts. He talked about um, the body armor, the muscle armor, armor that you build when you inhibit emotions. Mm -hmm. And so one of the points that he advanced is that when you don't process completely, when you don't live completely the, the cycle of an, of an emotion, the emotion gets stored in your body as muscle tension. And so um, Charles Kelly, what he did in his PhD was to put together the two theories. If vision problems like myopia, hyperopia, astigmatism, and presbyopia are due to tension in the muscles, and if when your emotions are not fully processed, they are stored in your body, body as tension in the muscles, maybe behind each type of eye symptom, there is a hidden non-released emotion. 
Mm. And when you release the emotion, maybe the eye symptom goes away because the muscle is released. And so he did his PhD with this idea for five years. And he found that the very precise correlation between eye symptoms and emotions that are, are not, that have not been fully processed, processed. Uh, he won the prize for the best PhD of the year at the University of Columbia. He went to the radio, to the television. He was on the New York Times. Uh, he was on Time magazine. He published in uh, scientific journals of ophthalmology, of psychology, of optometry. Um, so his work, his research work was widely recognized at his time. And beyond the fuzz that it created at the time, the impact it had on mainstream ophthalmology of optometry was zero. And for me, this is very impressive. It's mm -hmm. as if, you know, uh, it's discovered that the uh, earth runs around the sun and not the other way around and nobody yeah. pays attention. Or uh, we discovered that the earth is round and not flat and nobody pays attention. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Actually, for me, this finding by Wilhelm Reich, I'm sorry, by Charles Kelly, is a groundbreaking discovery for how eyesight functions and for the possibility of improving your vision and your eyesight. And it's shocking to me that this finding that is not mine, I'm really taking it from someone else, um, isn't widely known. So I have made it my personal crusade, uh, not only to teach the world about Charles Kelly's works and William Bates' works, but there's other, other researchers that have, from different disciplines, shown how it's possible to improve your vision naturally. Mm. So my idea is to put together all the knowledge that I can possibly access yeah. uh, and to create a synthesized system that uh, um, with a set of ideas that make sense and also a step-by-step -step method that anyone can easily apply mm -hmm. and improve mm -hmm. their vision naturally. So very quickly said. No, I mm -hmm. appreciate that. Thank you very much for this. That was beautiful. And I'm so very glad to hear that there's such serious work being undertaken mm -hmm. in order to show the interconnection between emotions and and mm -hmm. simple eyesight. It's not simple at all, but the the, uh, the effects. Um, mm -hmm. Brain wiring. Many of us as in human beings tend to believe that the way we are is the way we stay. Mm -hmm. Can you possibly speak to to the rewiring one's brain in order to see better and focus better? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, one idea first is, uh, well, our eyesight is so connected to how our brain works. Um, not only our optic nerve is connected to 85% of our brain, and as I said, the way we see the world is more, uh, it, it relates more to who we are and how we think and what we believe that the world really is. Um, but another idea um, is that really the brain does lots of operations with the light impulses and the light signals that come into our mm -hmm. eyes. In a way, we could say that the eyes are the cameras that capture uh, the simple image, but the processor uh, that shows us what we see is our brain. And there's many operations happening in the brain. For example, the first thing that the brain does is that it puts the image upside down. Can you say that again? It puts the image... Up I mean, if you... I'm sorry, you, yes. you're cutting off. Um, it puts the image upside the down, eye, is that what you said? Yeah. Hmm? Yes, we see the world reverse from what it oh, is, okay. but we can triangulate with mm -hmm. information from our touch, for example, and we know what's up and what's down. So the first operation the brain does, it, that it puts the image to the right position. Mm -hmm. Yeah? We see reverse. Um, um, if Well, this is less common nowadays, but we'll... 
at least in my generation, I don't know in yours, but when I was a child, people still used uh, these, you know, these old machines with little slides that you would put instead of pictures and you would project them into the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. And you would have to put them reverse so that you would see them uh, okay. in the yeah. right position the right in projection. the wall. Yeah. Exactly. Because there is an stenopaic effect and every camera has that video mm-hmm. camera, photograph camera, and the eye also has this stenopaic effect through the pupil. So the way the light impulses reach the retina is upside down from how the world is. But we have the sense of touch, so we can triangulate and we can know, well, what's up and what's down. We can touch the things that we see. That's why babies are touching everything all mm-hmm. the time. They're learning the universe. They're learning the world. And so the uh, the brain puts things as they're supposed to be in our perception. The brain also raises about 20% of the light impulses that we perceive, that we actually perceive, if we do not have an attached image that we have learned. Another thing, yeah, another thing that um, adults do all the time with kids, they show them books with images of things and they say, this is a cat and this is a ball. Yeah. uh, yeah, And this is a carrot and this is a dog. Yeah. And we spend, and this is a flower. And we spend lots of times, a lot of time pointing shapes to children. So they learn the names of the shapes and they learn to recognize them. We actually see so much more than the shapes that we have learned, but because we do not have a shape that we have learned, the brain will erase it, for example. Yeah. yeah? So uh, another way that we can teach ourselves to see more and more is to enrich the shapes that we are able to recognize. Hmm. Um, I, don't need, I don't know if you have seen, for example, um, oh, this is very... For me, it has been very typical when when a, a woman is pregnant and she goes to get an echography. The person who does the echography is able to say, this is the eye and this is the nose and this yeah. is the heart and it's a girl and this is the knee and this is the foot. And I don't know you, but when I look at those images, like how on earth <laughs> can you see what you see? Because it looks like just, you know, black Empty and white. Space. Yeah. Yeah, empty space. I don't recognize anything there. So they they have learned to perceive that in the mm-hmm. image. Mm-hmm. Or if you go if you go to um, uh, pick mushrooms in the forest, the first time you go, you are used to seeing the mushrooms in the in the uh, in the supermarket with yeah. the foil on it. Yeah, and you go to the forest and it doesn't look the same at all. And you can spend hours and you don't see them unless there's someone that goes to the forest that is used to that and says, here, there, there are the mushrooms. They're in front of you and you're not seeing them. And once you learn to recognize the mushroom in the space of the forest, in the context of the forest, you can see the rest of the mushrooms. So there's a lot of learning happening with vision. So we can learn to see more and to see better and increasing the type of shapes um, stimuli that we are exposed to that mm-hmm. increases our learning about seeing. So one thing that is very important to train our brain to see more and better is to change, to introduce a lot of diversity in the way we use our eyes. For example, if we spend a lot of time looking near, lots of diversity in the way you use your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you spend a lot of time with artificial light, then spend a lot of time outside with natural sunlight. Mm -hmm. Or if you spend a lot of time with a lot of light, then spend more time doing things in the dark. For example, you could take a shower or a bath in the dark in your bathroom. Your body is the same. The gestures are going to be the same. The bottle Mm -hmm. of the shampoo are the Mm -hmm. same. You can probably recognize them. And then you let your eyes the opportunity 
um, to do something new. And every time the brain is confronted to new, new uh, situations, the brain mm -hmm. has to do something to learn and to make new adjustments. Yeah. Another thing that's very interesting is that you can use an eye patch. You can cover one eye or you can cover the other eye or you can cover the space between the two pupils. Well, for those who are listening and not seeing, I'm wearing like a kind of an open pirate patch. Mm -hmm. But you can do this uh, also with a post-it note. Everyone has post-it notes at home. You don't. Yeah. You, you can put it on your forehead and you know uh, keep one eye from seeing and then the other and, one. And would you would you advise this to be done on on a daily basis and for how long? What's the practical? I would. Practical and um, yeah, even if people practice for five to fifteen minutes a day, it would, mm -hmm. it's going to have an impact. Um, it's going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to because it takes the brain out of habits and. Yeah. Uh, The brain has to learn something else. Uh, I've done a very funny test. When we, when we practice in groups, um, we start throwing a ball at each other mm -hmm. when we're getting to know the group. And when we throw the ball, we say the name of the person we're going to throw the ball to. So we first call the person, for example, Hafan, and then I throw the ball to you and you have to catch it. Um, and then you would call someone else and throw the ball. Mm -hmm. In this way, we learn the names of everyone in the group while we're sure. practicing movement and coordination and, well, different kinds of perception. Well, when everyone has learned everybody's name, then we put the patch on one eye. The moment that we put the patch on one eye, we do not remember the names of anyone. Interesting. Because the conditions have changed and the brain has to work differently and has to make a different effort. Mm. So it takes another five minutes before we can relearn to see with a right eye and learn the names and remember the names of everyone. Mm. So once everyone's name is again sta uh, stable, well, we change the patch and we put it on the other eye. And now we have forgotten again everybody's <laughs> name and we have to start all over. Yes. Amazing. And we do this over and over. And in this way, we are rewiring re the brain um, mm -hmm. and also making associations um, with the playing and with the names of the people and with the context. And so this anchors also the vision improvement. Um, so lots of it can happen just playing fun games. Now, can I ask you a very practical sure. question? Yes. This is useful and doable by absolutely everyone no matter the age am i correct in yes. thinking that yes. so that if you wanted to play this with your grandparents they will somehow with consistency find some improvements yes um oh, beautiful. well um the the youngest person i know that has improved uh, vision naturally is me mm -hmm. uh, being mm -hmm. six, six months old and um Uh, when I started teaching at the university, uh, when I started teaching natural vision improvement at the university, uh, it was actually at the um, Free University of Toulouse. This is a service of the university that offers uh, to the general public lectures on the research topics of um, professors and researchers yeah. at the university. So this is the first space where I propose to teach this class because most of the people who come to these classes are retired people. They're mm. people after the 60s. They do not work anymore. They have lots of free time and they want to learn more things. So they yeah. go to the university for the fun of learning new stuff. And I had been teaching classes on other of my specialties in sociology. And I noticed that everyone in my class was wearing glasses. So I told the, I told the responsible, look, I've been trained in these um, methods and I've been doing research in this uh, field um, of natural vision improvement. What do you think? How do you think about me teaching 
a class for these people. They're mm -hmm. old people, they're all wearing glasses, and I'm sure they would be very happy to see better and better. Mm -hmm. And so she opened her eyes very widely and asked, but this is going to work with uh, older people? And I said, yes, I already had experience with that in uh, workshops that I taught uh, aside from the university. So we did this course, and this was, I think, now like five years ago. And it was a complete success. I mean, the people were so, so happy to throw their glasses. And I have students there that are 60, 70, 80, 90. Mm. Some of them, it had been like 40 years the last time they had been able to put the, the thread in the needle. The needle or, or to, Yeah. And mm. one of the things that touched me the most, um, well, mostly there are women in these classes. There's some of them that after they come through my course, they can see the faces of their grandchildren for the mm. first time with the full expression and enjoy that mm. it's a very joyful process and it can be done at any age i have had experience from six months old to over 90 years old and and it works yeah if you're That's... willing if you're willing to learn the right information and you're willing to apply the practices mm -hmm. it works it may take more time less time but it does work beautiful well thank yeah. you for sharing how is diet related and how could okay. a possible uh, how could diet could possibly be affecting our eyesight so badly that someone yes. would go from wearing glasses to not or from not needing to wear glasses to actually yes. be at a stage where you know what glasses is the only option yes yes i know people for example who have had a retinal detachment because of um, having a sudden level a sudden increase of levels of toxicity in their body Wow. Um, the eyes are very small, delicate, subtle structures. Um, together with the brain, they're maybe the most complex part of our body. Mm. And everything is very small and delicate. So um, our eyes and the cells in our eyes are very sensitive to nourishment, to oxygen, and to toxicity. Um, people know that, if you, that eating carrots is good for your eyes and your vision, and it's true. Uh, eating colorful vegetables is, uh, well, carrots have vitamin A and they have uh, beta-carotens and other colorful vegetables are good for your eyes. Um, but for me, the most important thing about diet is not so much good nourishment, which of course is important, but toxicity levels. We are said that, we're told that the eyes are the windows to the soul, mm -hmm. les miroirs de l'âme, and mm -hmm. it's true. Um, but the eyes are also window to your liver. And if there's too much toxicity in your body through bad habits that you have accumulated over many, many years, um, the first part of your body that will show alarm, alarm, too much toxins mm -hmm. is your eyes. Your vision can start um, deteriorating after 40 because of too much toxicity over a too long time. The good news is that the body is also able to detox uh, rather quickly if you take the time to do it properly. For example, with salt water baths, or with, well, there's many ways to detox the body, mm. uh, but salt water baths are a very nice and, uh, and pleasant way to do it. And once you decrease the toxicity levels in your body, well, your eyes can work much better. And if you have good nutrition on the top of that, well, that's even better. Yeah, like uh, having omega-3 and vitamin C and vitamin A and mm. beta-carotens and uh, lutein, zeaxanthin, all these elements are very important. Um, now, 
how do we get this? Well, mostly having a, a balanced kind of diet with lots of vegetables and fruits, um, well, eating organic from the season and local, and um, and eating fish and um, well, eggs. Well, and you also would need vitamin B because there's lots of and magnesium because there's lots of um, um, neuron related processes. Um, mm-hmm. But again, for me, nutrition is important, but m- making sure that the, your body is not, um, yeah, that the toxins are lowered and that you detox is even more important to having a good eyesight. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense when, you know, you hear someone like yourself breaking mm-hmm. it down. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, my mind went to somewhere um, in relation to the link I'm making in my in my head between emotions, brain, diet, and toxicity, and uh-huh. how um, I'm thinking back to those releases uh, of emotions that have somehow improved people's vision, and I'm now thinking back to a few people that I know, or I remember when I was younger in Paris. Actually, I don't drink alcohol. I've never did, and I've never been drunk. Mm-hmm. But I remember a mm-hmm. guy in particular who used to wear glasses and then anytime he'd be drunk, his vision would be perfect and he'd have to take them off. Now, I'm going completely off topic of the diet, but also it's somehow related. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. ring for you? What, where do you think, yeah. is it the release and the fact that he's now basically drunk and relaxed about life and perhaps he's not stressing as much? Or is there something else to perhaps the level of toxicity in his body that actually... Yeah worked for him positively yeah. what could this be well, for uh, well i yeah i would think it would be the levels of relaxation as you said mm-hmm. um well um the eyes uh can focus thanks to uh, different sets of muscles um that are around the eye and inside the eye and uh when there's tension in in those muscles when there's tension in your way of being mm-hmm. and holding yourself then focusing cannot happen naturally. And as soon as you relax, you relax your body, you relax your consciousness, you relax your way of being, then your, your eyes can automatically do the focusing normally. It's, um, and you don't need to do something special for it just to remove the things that are keeping you from being able to do it Mm -hmm. as you don't have to do something special for digestion to happen. It's happening without you having to put will into it. Um, now, there's some very interesting psycho- psychological research that's been published, and I could find the reference if you're interested, um, showing how in mon- multiple personality disorders, there are different symptoms of eyesight that are associated. That so, I am interested uh, in, yes. Yes. So Amazing. certain people, let's let's make it very stereotypical, but <laughs> let's, uh, I know it is, it's not like this, but being very exaggerated to mm-hmm. illustrate it, mm-hmm. let's say that someone believes he's Napoleon and mm-hmm. then uh, at some other times he believes he's Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Well, when he's in the Napoleon personality, he may be short-sighted and when he's Cleopatra, he's not. And uh, it's the same body, but with different conditions in the consciousness, different tensions appear in the body and different tensions appear in the eye, uh, in the eyeball and the eye muscles. And so from one minute to the next, the person can have the symptom or not at all, depending mm. on a personality that this person is showing. Mm. So your friend, when he's drinking alcohol, 
he's being in a very different way. Yeah. He's allowing himself to behave more freely. He's someone There's else. There's less inhibitions. Yeah. It's someone else. Actually, probably he's more uh, authentic when he's drunk because all, all the inhibitions that have been removed. Mm -hmm. And if he's more relaxed and more authentic, then he has a clear vision. So what would be nice for your friend is to see what could be done that, so that he allows himself to be authentic without needing to be drunk to show himself in that way and to be mm. relaxed without needing to drink alcohol to be relaxed. But again, there's lots of cultural and social patterns around all of that, um, how we're supposed to be and when we are allowed to relax and show ourselves. So there's a whole deconstruction that has to happen um, mm -hmm. so that it's possible all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want us to talk about the power of light because I picked up on your, on your website yes. that it says something mm -hmm. about harnessing the power of light to accelerate yes. your vision improvement and see more. But before, mm -hmm. I, as I was getting ready to have this conversation with you, I, I read up on, on eyesight and, and the various changes that occurs when someone reads someone with perfect eyesight trying to read a language they don't, they don't actually speak and how all of, all of a sudden the eyesight And now I'm sure we're going back to the brain and how it's wired and how mm -hmm. it goes about how someone with perfect eyesight can read something that, that doesn't speak the language and somehow not be able to see very well simply because yes. the brain is confused. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. I find yes. That fascinating. So if there is tension around that experience, even if they see, they could see the letters, but mm -hmm. they're stressed because they don't understand what they're reading, reading. Yeah. they won't see the letters. Um, and we also have the opposite effect. You have seen probably those, some, some of them uh, I, I got through email or WhatsApp. You see images where only the first letter and the last letter of the yeah. word is correct. Yeah. And all the other letters are there, Mumbled. but in mm -hmm. a different order. Mm -hmm. And you can read perfectly the whole text yeah. because your brain has the cue with the first and the last letter and has the, uh, like the, the model of that word. So you can read very fast, although all the letters are actually not where they're supposed to mm -hmm. instead be besides the first and the last. So there's all these operations that are happening in the brain that impact how we see. Also, um, another thing, if you enter a room with dim light, you could take, um, rope that's laying on the floor for a snake. Yeah. And you would see a snake and then you would react as if there is a snake. And then mm -hmm. if you put the light on and you see it's a rope, well, you see the rope and, and everything, all of your perception changes. So there is a huge amount of interpretation in what we see. Um, there is um, a TED talk by Boloto. Uh, I, I could type the reference. If, if, you, if you send it to me, I'll add it to the show notes. That'd be awesome. Yes. Thank you. That displays so uh, eloquently and with so many fun games, all of this interpretation that happens in the brain with examples, with tangible examples. Mm -hmm. So, so when we are aware of how much of how we see is connected to our brain and our mind, we know that there's so much that we can do to improve the way we see the world. Mm. And then it happens. Um, and again, and circling back to identity, mm -hmm. um, the way we speak about our experiences tend to program how our experiences happen. Yeah. The way we describe our experiences tend to create the present and the future and they to reinforce the perception of the present and the future. So one thing that I encourage people to do 
uh, when they want to improve their vision, their eyesight, is to watch how they speak about it. And for example, instead of see, saying, I see less blurry, to say, I see more clearly. Mm -hmm. Because if you, see, if you say, I see less blurry, your, main, your mind is still focusing on blurry. Yeah. If you say, I see more clearly, your mind is focusing on clarity. Mm -hmm. So it looks for more clarity. Um, yeah. Well, there's some ninja stuff there. Yeah, um, there's some good NLP use. tips, definitely. That exactly, one follow, exactly. Totally. They definitely help, yes. Mm -hmm. And especially the way you speak about yourself. If you say, uh, I am myopic, or if without the glasses, I don't see anything, which is, is absolutely false. Yeah. Without glasses, you see colors, you see movements, you see shapes. Maybe you don't have perfect clarity yet, but you see lots of things. But if you're telling yourself yet that you're bl as blind as a bat when you don't mm -hmm. have your glasses, you experience yourself that way. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So we can use NLP and how we talk to ourselves and how we describe our experience also to increase um, and to make the, the, path towards clarity faster and easier and nicer nice one thank you so i mentioned i'm i'm very interested in 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 hearing you speak of the power of light uh, and light. and the sun mm -hmm. and i want to preface this by saying that of all the various things that have been happening during 2020 in the past the past couple of months with being with people being home a lot more not seeing the sun as much and looking at their screen a lot more than before um, i'm sure we're going to see reports of you know ophthalmologists coming and ahead and saying we've got a lot more people a lot more prescriptions a lot more of this and mm -hmm. this and that so yes. two questions for you it's in terms of how can we harness the power of of the sun in order to yeah. not only get our better uh, our sight in, in a better shape and two perhaps a, a bit more of a selfish i'm curious as to what you think about blue light glasses like this one that okay. i'm showing to you right now because that's what i use late at night when i find myself tired of reading and being on on, on a screen you can start wherever okay. you want but yeah okay so you're absolutely right in spain there's been uh, research done by optometrists who have found out that after the first six months after the lockdown started like yeah. uh uh, 76% of the Spanish population was saying that their vision was worse. Oh. That's, that's huge. Yeah, it is um, and it was even more so for young people. And there are many factors. Some of them you mentioned spending less time outdoors and being less like having less opportunity to look far, like yeah. to see the sky and the clouds and, and to have long, like wide perspectives. If we are indoors all the time, there's, so much far that we can look at within four walls um, and also the uh, working with our eyes near and with screens has increased and um, and also less movement if we're indoors all the time our movement is more restrained than if we are outside mm -hmm. and also stress people have gone through moments with all the lockdown-related uh, things, sometimes stress about just the lockdown, sometimes about being able to connect with their, their beloved people, sometimes people being sick or dying, sometimes people losing their jobs or having uncertainty about the future. So there's been lots of layers of stress around the lockdown and the pandemic. So um, all of that also impacts um, eyesight. The eyes tend to be the first body part, the first organ that reacts to stress and the last one to relax. Mm. So that's also part of the story. Now, you want to talk about the sun and sunlight? Let's go there. Um, so light is needed 
for vision to happen, uh, for human vision at least. When there is little light, um, only um, so we have different kind of photosensitive cells in our in our eye, in our retina. Uh, have two kinds of cells, the rods and the cones. The rods are sensitive to light and they can show us shades of gray and movement and structure, but that's about it. And the cones, uh, they can perceive red, blue and green light and they can perceive also details. So the degree of acuity that we have is thanks to the cones, okay? Mm -hmm. um, now, for the cones to be um, stimulated, we need light. We need as much light as possible. When there is more light, we see more uh, with more acuity and we see color better. And the stronger kind of light that we have is the sun. If you go to an indoors um, and you have the impression that um, there's a lot of light indoors because the lights, the artificial lights are on, but you go to the sun and you come back to the room, the room will seem dark. Mm -hmm. What happens is that we have in our eye, we have the pupil. When there's the pupil will open and we have the impression that there is a lot of light. And when we go to the sun, where the light is much, much stronger, the pupil will close. If we enter the room again with our closed pupil, we will see the room dark. Yeah. Whenever the pupil is more closed, the better we see. Also because um, the foveal vision is uh, stimulated. So I, I show my little, <laughs> my little assistant, my little model. So the retina covers the back part of, of the eye. And uh, the peripheral view of, or the peripheral retina is covered by rods mostly. And the more we get to the macula and the fovea near the optic nerve to the center of the vision, right in front of the pupil, the more there's cones in the macula and the fovea, so the better vision is. So the more there is light and the smaller the pupil is, the more the fovea is stimulated and the more we have better eyesight and the more we can perceive color. So we're always going to see better in the sun than in a room that's uh, with artificial light, always. This is one thing. Another thing is that the retina is stimulated and nourished by the full spectrum of light. And the organism, the body, is also adjusted to the circadian cycle of day and night through our perception of the sunlight. Um, in the morning, uh, when the sun is raising, the light is more yellow. During the middle of the day, the light is more blue. And uh, towards the end of the day and sunset, the light gets more orange and red. Yes? Mm -hmm. And our body can tell this because of how we perceive light with our eyes. Yeah? Um, all the kinds of lights are important for our, our health and our well-being. Um, Blue light is also good for our health. It's important to be active. And blue light prevents us from becoming myopic. But red light in the sunset or the yellowish of the sunrise is the best light to repair the retina and to strengthen and nourish the retina. And probably this is the reason why it's so beautiful and enjoyable to watch a sunset because mm. it's actually very good for our health. So watching the sunset is one very good thing that people with macular degeneration could do, for example, and any person that wants to have good eyesight for life, watching the sunset with your beloved one <laughs> is a very good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why you're using these blue blockers 
is because you are spending time with your computer at night at your home with artificial light. And if you don't use the blue blockers, um, you're exposed to artificial blue light, and this is going to screw up the circadian circle, the yeah, circadian cycle. Mm, yeah. yeah, so you do, not, you do not produce melatonin, and then you cannot rest when you go to bed. You cannot sleep. You are overly, you are too excited. Now, yeah, so, true. yeah, too stimulated. Mm. Yes, so the idea indeed is to decrease, to decrease, to decrease the, decrease the amount. I have better recommendations that the glasses with blue blockers mm -hmm. why because mm -hmm. i would prefer for you not to get used to wearing glasses to having crutches so there's other strategies that you can use uh, to reduce blue light without having to wear glasses for example you could put a screen filter a physical screen filter on your computer or on your tablet or on your cell phone maybe even on your television that's one mm -hmm. another one is that The artificial light that you have uh, at home, mostly nowadays it's LED mm. lights because they save uh, electricity, but the range of uh, light, the spectrum of light they have is very small and it's very blue. So at night it's not very good for our health. Mm. But there are some LED uh, lights that you can change the color. They're a bit more expensive, but with all the money that you save from electricity, it's well worth to buy um, changing color LED lights so that towards the evening you can put the more reddish kind I of see. light yeah. and during the day you can have I the see. blue light you can also put virtual filters to your computers tablets and smartphones uh, my favorite one is called f.lux f.l-u-x x yeah mm -hmm. so that's an application it's for free you install it in your computer in your tablet in your smartphone and it will automatically change the color of the screen throughout the day in the morning it will be more yellowish Beautiful. and during the middle of the day mm. it will be more blue and at the end of the day mm. it will be more orange and red and this way you're taking care of your circadian cycle without having to wear glasses that would be my suggestion amazing I will definitely check it out. And, and people listening, that will be in the show notes as well, links. And uh, again, about the power of sunlight. Um, this is the works of William Bates. It's not mine, actually. So again, I'm synthesizing. I'm gathering information from many lines of research and mm -hmm. synthesizing them and putting them into a method uh, that can be used by anyone. So William Bates uh, found, well, discovered and invented many techniques uh, to improve uh, um, your vision naturally. And for me, uh, the, um, the two star techniques are the palming technique, which is covering your eyes with your palms, the palms of your hands and resting and breathing. And this is very simple to do. There's a, bit, a few more details we could explain around it. But even if you just cover your eyes with your palms, uh, it's very relaxing for the eye muscles. So it, it improves your vision very nicely. And the other star technique for me is sunning. And it basically consists of going out to the sun without any uh, glasses between you and the sun. So, I mean, if you live in a place where, that, where it's very cold, you can do it at home and with your windows closed. But if... If the temperature is good enough, it's best to be outside to remove eyeglasses or contacts um, or sunglasses. And with your eyes closed, to look directly into the sun and move your head gently. And you can even put your fingers in front of your closed eyes. 
And that is going to stimulate the retina in different ways, in different angles. And it is going also to stimulate the pupil to open and close. And that will help us with our focusing capacities. Mm -hmm. So there's different reasons why the sun is good for your eyesight. And you can use the power of sunlight uh, to improve your vision and to keep a good vision for a lifetime. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Awesome. Um, I, I know you got to go soon, but I teach movement for a living and I am, I, I would be remiss not to ask you about movement and, and the health capacity, especially when it comes to eyesight, that movement actually, you know, gives people what type of movement yep. works best at helping people developing better eyesight. If, if that's a fair question to ask. Or, um, okay, I would say uh, free movement following your curiosity and mm -hmm. moving with your with what you're with uh, moving with that which fascinates you. Um, vision, um, the the first element that's necessary for perception to happen is curiosity, interest, and the, when there is curiosity for something, the eyes will go in that direction, and then the head will follow and then the rest of the body will pop. The more your body can move freely as stimulated by curiosity, enjoyment, fascination, playfulness, the better the eyesight will function. So we want to have a, a body that is mobile as possible. If there's like osteopathic constraints, it's good to release them um, because the muscles in the eyes that allow for focusing are connected to all of the muscle system through the fascias. So we want to have the body as mobile and relaxed as possible so that when we are curious about it, the eyes can want like to look at it and then the rest will follow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe that's a broad answer, but free, spontaneous, curious movement mm -hmm. uh, is uh, what I would say is best for having Beautiful. a good eyesight. Amazing. So, can you tell everyone what are the courses um, that you teach and when would they be possible? Will it be possible for anyone to join? And I know you do them in both English and in Spanish as so well. So I teach... Uh, yes. And in French at the That's University right. in Toulouse. So uh, I would say there's three three options if people want to learn, uh, uh, practice my method and improve their vision naturally through the clear sight method. Um, I teach it uh, once, twice a year at the University in Toulouse in the second semester. Uh, up to now, the classes tended to be um, in person. Uh, so you had to be in Toulouse to participate. But since 2020, the classes are virtual. So uh, it's, if you speak French, you could register for the classes at the University of Toulouse um, and you would have some Zoom, Zoom classes with me. The other option, since 2016, I have been teaching um, the clear sight method in Spanish as Volver a Ver Claro online. And uh, I think now we've, I've had over 2,000 students um, yeah, I'm saying this by memory. So I think from over 50 or 60 different countries. And uh, in that case, the clear side method is a video course that you can walk through. You can watch the videos. You can watch the different lessons and the different modules at home at your convenience, at your pace. And every couple of weeks, we have a live webinar for Q&A and sharing success stories. And we also have support in the form of a WhatsApp group and, of course, email if people have questions. Um, but it's 
all of it is virtual. It's happening online. And this year I have launched this format, this online format in English for the first time. So we've had like close to 460 people register, a bit more than that, from 50 countries also, mm. English-speaking countries um, or elsewhere, but they spoke English. And um, yeah, and it's working pretty well. We're discovering some interesting differences and nuances on how people like to be taught. And maybe that's uh, something to talk about in a podcast like this, about teaching for another day. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's been a, a very interesting process to see how the French like to be taught, the Spanish people like to be taught, and the English speaking like to be taught. Oh, uh, you said and it's cultural differences. But there are three okay. possibilities mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 there are, there are and different expectations and needs and mm, relationship with time is different. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I mean the learning process uh, to relate to the English speaking audience at this moment, uh, since it's the first time I'm launching it in English at this moment. Yeah. Yes. We can, voila. voila. No, Messi. <laughs> Look, I, 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 before COVID, I was starting to teach. I've been here for 23 years and it's only uh -huh. in the past couple of years I've been teaching in France and I've been teaching in French because most of my work has been done in English. And what you're saying uh -huh. is true. I mean, you know, cultural differences are to be expected and they're massive and the relationship to time and space and, and body space and, and body organizations. Oh, very and different. Yes, very, yes, very, yes. very different. Um, and it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just very different. And so certain yes. cultures adapt quick, more quickly to, uh, quicker to certain things and others to others. Um, It, it is just what it is. So yes, I, I can, for something mm -hmm. like this, for this type of work, I can totally understand also how whilst the eyesight is eyesight, human beings are also mm -hmm. human beings and you, you got to somehow, uh, condition yourself in, in the best way you can in sharing your work in, in a way that works best for the, per, for the people re receiving mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yes. I'm sure you must be learning quite a lot as well, which is, which is yes. going to be interesting. Yeah, if I can throw a couple of ideas that are mm -hmm. very preliminary, but mm -hmm. uh, um, in France, I've noticed, and especially in the context of the university, people are expecting a lot of theory and research articles and justifying the why things work the way they work. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of reasoning. And if you have to convince them mentally yeah. before they're willing to go live the experience. <laughs> in the Spanish-speaking audience, Uh, the emotional aspects are very important. So people are willing to take a lot of time and go into relationship and they like the community and the support and the sharing the success stories and all of that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm noticing with the English speaking audience, and it's a bit soon because we have started just for a few weeks um, and it's the first group that I'm, um, that I'm uh, supporting through this uh, journey I, I have the feeling that they want things fast, they want results now, and they want practical applied things. They do not necessarily want to know why it works, but they yeah. want like the recipe that they can press the button and have the result yeah. immediately. So yeah, there are three very different approaches to the process. So yeah, my wish and my intention is to get better <laughs> and better at it so mm -hmm. that I can satisfy every every need and style so that they get the results in the end, the ideas that they can see better and yeah, without glasses or surgery and get back to seeing clearly again. Yeah. Amazing. At the beginning of this conversation, we mentioned that um, obviously you, you teach, as you said, at university and that you are being afforded, you know, the space to actually delve into your own uh -huh. work and, and, and 
But I think France, as you said, in terms of the culture and the fact that, you know, the French like to just ask deep ass questions sometimes way too much and be mentally, um, you know, proved something before they can actually or are willing to go there physically, it, it kind of lends uh-huh. itself to a place where, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, or if it's the same somewhere else, it tends to lead itself to a place where, you know, they will accept you on the basis of, you know, your PhD and the fact that you're a researcher and that you've proven your, your worth, so to speak, in, in other areas and will eventually then give you a, not carte blanche, but uh, uh-huh. will give you some space to, to explore depth. That's pretty, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. For the yeah, past couple but of then again, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you. Go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say, but then again, there's lots of research on natural vision improvement. The, the thing is that it has happened like scattered in different disciplines. And um, there is there is a community of vision educators. I'm not the only one that's interested in this yeah. work. Um, I'm in contact with the international community of vision educators. I was presenting in the last conference of the American Association of Vision Educators. And we estimate that we may be about 500 people in the whole planet. Mm-hmm. That is very little if you mm-hmm. consider how many psychotherapists or doctors or or um, physiotherapists, or people who do massage. It's or a very small community. It yeah. exists, mm-hmm. Or yeah. ophthalmologists, or optometrists, yeah. It's a very small community, but it exists, and it has existed for over a 100 years. And there's research happening in different disciplines that support how and why vision improvement works, how vision deteriorates, and how it can improve. But um, there's been few people trying to do some scientific systematic work of gathering like all the information from different disciplines and put it together. I'm not the first one either. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, uh, Ray Gottlieb, uh, who was was trained in Berkeley and who was a professor in several universities in the Department of Optometry. Now he's retired and he did a very big work in also gathering scientific research and putting it together. So I'm also inheriting, I mean, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that preceded me, of course. Um, But it's not like I'm coming with this information from a void place. There's lots of research and uh, yeah, and it it takes time and effort to uh, put it together and look for it, but it can be done. And that's part of what I'm doing mm. and what this collective is doing as well. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. I'm very glad you're doing this work and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very, very grateful for, um, to come across you if, if not, um, you know, grateful for, for the, 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 the pace that you're, you're setting up for the next generation of, of vision educators as well. Um, I know we're running out of time. I was very curious to, um, but we don't have a lot of time. Perhaps you'll want to come back and talk to us about the, uh, I know you've done a, a project in Me- Mexico, uh, walking with Mexico. children in Mexico, yes. <laughs> walking yes. with children. Um, but perhaps we can talk about that another time. Uh, it'd be lovely to, to have you again. Um, I know, uh, I'm trying to say your name properly. Yes. It's been such a pleasure and honor to, to pick your brain and, and to hear you speak on that subject. You are obviously positively passionate about it. And, uh, and I've learned so much today. So uh, I can, from the bottom of my heart, un grand, grand, grand merci. A big, big, big thank you. 
Merci beaucoup. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for um, taking the time and giving me the space to talk about this. And uh, it's a pleasure for me. As you said, I'm passionate uh, about what I do. And if any of this information that you are sharing, that we are sharing is useful for anyone out there to open to the possibility, to the opportunity of improving their vision naturally, well, I think we made it. We did it. Um, and then they can choose how they want to do it. If they want to read books or look for a vision educator that's nearby or look for an online course or whatever, whatever, however way they do it. But now they know that it's possible. And yeah. that's like planting a seed mm -hmm. and then people can start watering it and taking care of it so that it grows. But yeah, it is possible. I hope you have learned something here and that you get to teach it. Go to rafan.co.uk to subscribe to my newsletter. And remember that when one teaches, two learn. So do teach and learn as much as you can.